Yeah. All right. I forgot to mention on announcements too. I want to say, um, make sure kids stay out of the storage room in the basement. We got that all cleaned up down there, and stuff is magically ending up in the room main area down there every Sunday. So stay out of there. Uh, if you need anything out of there, uh, talk to an adult. All right. We, so we want to keep it decent in there. But uh, Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. We're going to look at a very famous verse for this time of year, especially today is Palm Sunday. This is where the time where we remember Jesus, his triumphal entry, where he rides into Jerusalem. And while churches all over America are probably talking about that day, referring to this passage, uh, I think very little is actually taught about the significance of this day. And I talked a lot about that last year, but I really want to focus on one uh, really key thing on this today. But let's look at Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And this prophecy is given by Zechariah. It was nearly 500 years before it was fulfilled. This prophecy was given shortly after they had come out of the Babylonian captivity. They'd been restored to their land and they had been allowed to rebuild their temple. But if you read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, they had some opposition along the way. The work got held up for several years. And so God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to come along and to kind of give the children of Israel a kick in the pants and tell them it's time to get to work. You need to go build this temple. And so uh, in the prophecies of Zechariah, it's prophesying about what's going to happen when they build this temple. And if they will follow the commands of the Lord, then eventually that Messiah is going to come and He is going to suddenly come into this temple and He is going to purify the sons of Levi. And there are many prophecies about what was going to happen sometime after they rebuild this temple with the Messiah. Now, it was 500 years later before it finally happened. But sure enough, on that Palm Sunday, we see what's mentioned here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus shows up. And we're going to go to that passage in the New Testament here in a minute. But uh, let's look at a couple other Old Testament references to this very same event, this very same day. There's a lot of scriptures on it. I preached on this last year. I'm not going to rehash all that stuff. But in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 3, uh, when it's talking about John the Baptist, and it says, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So not only did Isaiah prophesy about this forerunner to the Messiah, this one who's going to prepare the hearts of Israel. He, that was John the Baptist's role. He was going to prepare the nation to receive the uh, Messiah when the Messiah came. And so he, Isaiah prophesied about him. The last prophet of the Old Testament, unless you want to count John the Baptist as that last one, Malachi also wrote about it in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple. This is what was happening on Palm Sunday. Jesus was coming to fulfill this passage. The Lord, the King, he was going to come and he was going to come into his temple. And it says, even the messenger of the covenant whom he delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth for he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, 
that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So, it's so important that we understand the prophetic significance of the triumphal entry. And it's also important that we understand what happened was something that God prophesied was going to happen. And that we need to understand that this was not... that What Israel did on that Palm Sunday was not what they were supposed to do. Okay, While the Bible prophesied that they were going to do this wrong thing, understand it was wrong for them to do it. They were disobeying God. They were violating His Word. Okay, And we all know what happened with John. Because John the Baptist came. He came to prepare the hearts of the nation. But can anybody tell me what the nation did? They killed him, didn't they? They put him to death. It says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send, you, send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood that is shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, under the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." So I want you to understand too, this passage right here was something that Jesus gave right after his triumphal entry. I don't think we realize how much of the gospel is centered around the last week that Jesus was, um, you know, the, the final week before his resurrection. And it kind of starts in this Palm Sunday and Jesus does. He goes in, he rides in there, he shows up in the temple and he starts preaching to these people and they didn't like what he preached. And he told them, and they, and we're going to see Israel, they rejected him when he came. When, the, when their king came, they as a nation rejected him. And as a result of that generation's rejection, as a result of that nation's rejection, it's so important that we understand that destruction was pronounced upon them because of that. Not just soul destruction, physical destruction was pronounced on them. And I'm not even going to take time to go to all the passages, but right here is one in Matthew 23 where because of their rejection of the Messiah, because of their rejection of the prophets and their killing of the prophets and men like John the Baptist and even ones going back as far as Abel, Jesus said, this generation is going to suffer because of it. And understand, when He gave that prophecy, I believe they had just sealed their fate like the day before or a couple days before. And so... Jesus said this generation. Now, why this particular generation? Because this very day where Jesus rides into Jerusalem was a day that many prophets pointed to because it was what was known as a day of reckoning or what Jesus called it, a day of visitation for Israel as a nation. And look at what it says in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 this is at the triumphal entry as Jesus comes riding in. <clears throat> and remember, it says He's going to come in. He's going to come suddenly into His temple. But in verse 41, it says, When He was come near, He beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, 
and all thy children with thee. I want you to notice that part, and all thy children with thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And understand, this here is Jesus prophesying that as a nation, you're going to be destroyed. When Jesus came into his temple, you know what he did? He wept over it. You know why? Because Israel was not ready for the Messiah. They had killed John the Baptist who was supposed to be preparing them for him and they themselves would not receive him when he came in. When they came in, there were many people crying out Hosanna, but we see the leaders telling Jesus, you know, you need to rebuke these people. And Jesus, he told them that he, you know, he wasn't going to rebuke them. He wasn't going to stop them. But understand, while many individuals received Jesus on that day and were ready for him, as a whole, the nation turned him down. The nation rejected him. And when they, that nation rejected him, it sealed their fate as a nation. And Jesus immediately, he prophesied destruction there in chapter 19. And then it was right after that, chronologically speaking, in Matthew chapter 23, where he says, it's all going to come on this generation. Israel's rejection that day, it's important we get this. We need to get this in our head. It was a national rejection. And the next generation suffered because of it. What that generation chose to do on that day, understand, the next generation paid a massive price for it. And so Jesus' tears that he shed that day, it was because Jesus didn't just love the individuals and the inhabitants of Israel, but Jesus also loved the nation as well. And he understood their rejection meant total destruction as a nation. And it's something very important we need to understand about the Bible is that in the Bible, not everything that you read in the Bible is directed at individuals. Often, it's rejected at nations, especially when it comes to prophecies. They are given to nations. Now, we're used to internalizing those as an individual, and it's not wrong for us to do that and to get principles from those things. But it's so important that we understand the primary application of these things because while it's not wrong to make personal application from any passage, we never want to ignore original context and meaning. Otherwise, we're going to get confused. And I'm going to show you in Acts where some people get confused on some things, especially about repentance, because they don't understand this concept. And so, I don't think there's too many people right now that would argue with anything I've said so far about Israel's rejection of Christ as a nation. But here's the thing. If this is all true what we're saying about Israel that day rejecting Jesus as a nation, then we need to take these things into consideration when we look at the sequel, you, you could say, to the book of Luke. Does anybody know what the sequel to the book of Luke is? The book of Acts, right? So Luke, because Luke focuses a lot uh, on the um, prophecies about the coming destruction for Jerusalem. We don't even have time to go into all the examples that Luke gives. We're just going to kind of, you know, we, we're just kind of hitting some highlights. We're going to look at one more. But uh, Luke talks about it a lot. And it's very important we understand that when we're looking at some things in the book of Acts that people are not paying attention to. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at some excerpts from Peter's sermons that he preached early on in the book of Acts. And I want to show you some mistakes people make when preaching from the book of Acts. And we're going to see where they, if we see where they go wrong, it's going to help us understand exactly what to do with some difficult passages because and understanding this concept too is also and this is kind of what inspired this message it's going to cause 
uh, or help us understand some things that are big hang-ups for a lot of people when it co- that cause them to reject the gospel. Understand there's no good reason to reject the gospel. Y'all understand that? But people do reject the gospel for a reason. They need to get over it. You know, but they do have reasons, and it's important that we address these things because there are answers for things. And so I think if we fully understood these things, we would know how to help these people. So let's look at some excerpts from Peter's sermon in Acts uh, 2. So go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 2. But before I, we, go, uh, we read some of the passages from there, I do want to point out something in Luke chapter 23 also because Peter's ser- here's what we've got to understand. Peter's sermon at Pentecost... It was more than just him preaching to individuals about their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? He was preaching to a nation who was guilty of the recent crime of killing Jesus. Because okay? not only did Jerusalem or Israel reject Jesus, they killed him. And it was the nation that did this. Look what it says in Luke 23, verse 27. And it says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. So this is while Jesus is being crucified and he's carrying his cross. And it says, But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and under the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And so note, So I believe this here is a prophecy too about what was coming for them. What they were doing to Jesus as a nation was going to get them destroyed. It was going to get them all killed. And we know historically that happened. And you say, well, why, why did it come on the nation? It wasn't it the Romans that did it. You know, wasn't it our sins that did it. And I understand all that, but look at what it says in Matthew chapter 27 in verse 24. It says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now, the congregation, Israel, they were under Roman oppression during that time and under Roman rule. Under Roman law, they were not allowed to put somebody to death according to their own law. They had to go through the Romans. So what they, that's why they kept accusing Jesus to the Romans so they would put him to death. Well, the problem was when he stands before Pilate, Pilate's like, this guy isn't guilty. He hasn't done anything wrong, but Pilate was a coward. Pilate was a wicked man. And Pilate, what he ended up doing is he ended up allowing them to do what they wanted to do. What he ends up doing is he ends up authorizing them to kill him. So now they're not in any danger of getting in trouble with Rome for executing somebody. So it says, he said, I'm innocent of the blood, uh, the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So while the Romans were there, and they were overseeing it, it was in reality Israel that was putting him to death. And we'll see that Peter and Stephen, those men, they credited Israel for it. It was them that did it. And so there was not just going to be a price to pay for the souls of these individuals, but the nation itself was going to pay for this crime 
if they did not repent of what they had done. And so look what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. People like to isolate verse 38 to teach weird repentance for salvation. But look what it says in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Not only is he Lord and is he the boss, but he's also Christ. He's the Messiah. Jesus, the one you crucified, he is Lord. He is the Messiah. Now, when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When they hear this, they got convicted. We messed up. We shouldn't have killed the Messiah. We are in trouble. So what are we going to do? And they said, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. Notice that again, to your children again. And to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, he did testify and exhort saying, watch this, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto him about 3,000 souls. So you know what he's doing here? Not only is he just trying to get these people to believe on Christ, which is what we do when we go out soul winning, but... He is also trying to get these people to change their minds about a decision they had already made about Jesus. Because this same group that he's preaching to was a group that before said crucify him and literally had him put to death. Okay? Now understand, most of the people that we talk to out soul they have not made a decision about Jesus yet. And if they have, they never made the decision to put him to death and to kill him. Now, obviously, they need to believe on him to be saved. But we see Peter preaching a strong language of repentance to this nation. Why? Because this nation had decided we don't want Jesus and they killed him. And so now some are realizing the error. And you know what he's doing? He's telling them, repent. You need to change your mind about Jesus. He is Lord. He is Messiah. And you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. And, you should, and what's, what's he doing? You've got to change your ways. You need to identify yourself with Christ. And you know what I believe he's saying too? When he's talking about the remission of sins. Not only would they receive cleansing from their sin like we all get, but as a nation, if they will repent and they will turn to Christ, then also they will not receive the destruction that was coming for them. He's preaching to a nation. He's preaching national repentance right here. And I think, I think we forget that. And then, he's, but not only in this message of national repentance, we see there is a place for individuals to receive it, even if the nation as a whole does. Because here's the thing. We're going to see a bunch of people got saved that day. But let me ask you, did Israel repent? Not as a nation. And notice this generation, he referred to them as an untoward generation. Why did he do that? And why did he say, save yourselves? You know why? Because this generation that had rejected Christ has brought judgment upon themselves. They have cursed themselves. 
and he's telling the people, you need to save yourselves from it. And so let me ask you this. All these people who got saved that day on Pentecost, all there's 3,000 that we see that got saved. It says, and they, were, they that gladly received his word and were baptized the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls. Now let me ask you this question. And we all know the answer. Did those 3,000 who got saved go to heaven when they died? Of course they did. But let me ask you this. Did their physical nation get saved? No. You know why? Because the nation did not repent. And hopefully, they all, and hopefully, now we don't know for sure. According to history, actually, they did do this. But the Bible does not record this for us. But you know what I believe they also needed to do after they got saved? They needed to save themselves from that generation. Meaning, they needed to get out of there. Because judgment was coming for that nation. And let me tell you, any of these people that were alive, if they stayed in Jerusalem until judgment came, they would have died with them. They would have gone to heaven, but they still would have suffered. And let me tell you something, when a nation goes down, sometimes saved people get hurt too. And that's something that we ought to think about too as Americans. Now, fortunately, unfortunately, we don't have any place to run to you know, right now. We don't have, there's no, I can't think of any good places to go hide. But listen, clearly in this passage, we have a call to a nation and a call to individuals. And we need to understand there are some salvation passages that are directly aimed at nations. And you, so you could say it was a call to a nation, but it was one that an individual could respond to if others didn't make the right choice. It would be like me, if I had the opportunity, right, if for some weird reason I was given the opportunity to preach before Congress, to preach before the leaders of our nation, you know, you better believe I would preach a message of repentance and I would call on our nation to return to Christ. I would call our nation to return to biblical principles. I would call our nation to return to following the Ten Commandments. I would call our nation to return to a bunch of things. Now, let me ask you, would returning to the Ten Commandments, would returning to the Bible get our entire nation's soul saved? No. But would it save our nation if we started following God's Word? You better believe it would. It would preserve our nation. It would protect our nation. And so I would definitely get up and I would call on our nation to return to Christ. Because I believe too, even if you look historically, you know, even at the founding of our country, I don't believe all our founding fathers were saved. But I do believe they followed Bible principles and that was very good for our country. And I believe it's what gave us a great country. Now, if those individuals did not get personal salvation, they died and they went to hell. You know, that, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. But I would, I would definitely preach repentance towards our, of our nation back to Christ. But you know what? Chances are it would fall on deaf ears with our leaders, wouldn't it? But that same message, if our, if our nation and our leaders rejected it completely our country would still be heading for destruction, wouldn't it? But you know what? If individuals who heard that message, if they received it, if they believed on Christ, they would be saved, wouldn't they? But it would be understood, while I'm up there calling on people to follow the, you know, go back to the Ten Commandments, go back to biblical principles, I'm not preaching that as how a person gets saved from their personal sins. I'm preaching on how to save our nation from just destruction. So does that make sense? So we see that a lot in the Bible where you'll see preachers calling on nations to repent so they can save their nation 
within those messages many times was a place for personal repentance as well and where a person could personally get saved. But a lot of times people are taking kind of those national things and making it for an individual and using it to prove you've got to repent of all your sins to be saved. And I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. And let's look at another example. Uh, look at Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate. That's what... Now, did every single person in the congregation deny Him in the presence of Pilate? No, there were, he had followers there. Okay? Even at the cross. His mother was there. Mary Magdalene, the other one, they were there at the cross. They weren't for that. They were there weeping. They were there sorrowful. But as a nation, okay, this is what these people had done. They denied Him. And when He was determined, when he was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses and His name through faith in His name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, watch this, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as also did your rulers. So while it was mainly the rulers that were conspiring against Jesus, when the congregation went along, they were still responsible, weren't they? Even though they were mostly ignorant of what they had done. And understand too, We've got some pretty wicked people running this country that are running it down the sewer. And most of us are pretty ignorant of what's going on. Most of our country is pretty ignorant of what's going on. But guess what? We're still going to have to pay the consequences for what these people do. We're still going to suffer. And, you know, I mean, listen, we're already suffering now. with Gas prices and inflation and grocery costs and all these things. And it's because of them. It's because of stuff they did, not because of what we did. But, you know, we sometimes, but we're, we're still responsible, though, because we do nothing, vote some of these people in, just, you know, and I, and I don't want to go into all that, but he, know, but he mentions, though, he's like, I, I think with some of you, it was an ignorance. They still have a chance for repentance here. He says, but those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye, therefore... And be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Do you all see that? He said all of everyone that hears that prophet, that's Jesus Christ, they're going to be destroyed. This is another reminder of not just a soul destruction, a physical destruction that was coming for Jerusalem. We're always kind of making this about you know, individuals and applying it to our situation today. No, this is something very specific on that generation. Now, I will say today, if you don't listen to Jesus, if you don't receive the Gospel, you're going to be destroyed. 
spiritually speaking. But physically speaking, you might not. You know, a lot of people, you know, in America are going to go to the grave, live a long, good long life. They're going to die and go to hell. And, and they're going to have that soul destruction, but they're not going to have the physical destruction. These people are going to have both because of what they had done. And these men who love Israel, who love their nation, want to see it spared, and they're calling on their nation to repent in these stories. And so, here he's preaching to a nation whose sins needed blotting out if they were going to survive as a nation. I believe verses 19 and 20 showed that Peter believed Israel still had a chance to repent. I believe at this point, they still had a chance as a nation to survive what they had done. Had they listened to the preaching, had they as a nation repented and believed on Christ. But again, um, so verse 23 shows, though, that every individual is also responsible and can get out of that ju uh, judgment. And verse 17 shows, even if they were ignorant, they were still in trouble. And so, we need to keep all these things in mind. Now look at chapter 4 of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter preached again, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, watch this, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He's talking to the leaders. If, this, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And now, so typically today, when you hear someone preach a message on salvation, it's typically one that's focused on individuals and not a nation. But what he was preaching here was to, an eight, was to a nation. And so as an American, when you get saved, you know, you don't necessarily get saved from the judgment that's coming on this nation. You don't necessarily get saved from that. Our nation needs to repent of that. Did you know that you don't get saved and go to heaven if you repent of an abortion that you had in the past? But did you know our nation will not be saved unless it repents of abortion? I believe we will suffer greatly because of that sin. And so there, there's a difference in these things. And so later in the book of Acts, after the stoning of Stephen, I believe that's when Israel sealed their fate. And we see after that, we see more preaching on an individual call to salvation. Because while the apostles had a great love for the nation of Israel, it seems that once they got a hold of the idea there was no hope for Israel, that they ended up going with an approach a lot more like we see today of just finding that remnant in every nation. Typically today when we send missionaries out, we're just sending them for the remnant to tell anybody that will listen about Jesus to try to get those people saved, get a congregation of believers going. We don't typically send a missionary to another country and then try to get them before their Congress and their leaders there and try to call on them to repent. Okay? I, I can't imagine more fruitless ministry than just going and preaching to you know, the Israeli government <laughs> or even the American government. And we got guys that are trying to do that and I hope they succeed. But you know what? I, I hope they succeed in getting to Mars, but I don't really think they're going to. And I don't really think these guys are going to accomplish anything. You know, I just, that'd be great if they did, but I just think that's a pretty fruitless ministry. But I do. I think the stoning of Stephen sealed the fate. Now turn over Romans chapter nine. 
Because I, I, I believe by Romans 9, like, because now we're in the days of the Apostle Paul. And remember, the stoning of Stephen is where we are introduced to that young man who consented to his death, Saul, who later became Paul. And look at what Paul said, who loved his people probably more than anybody else would love their nation. He said in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness with me in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was sad that his nation had rejected Christ. He knew they were in trouble. He goes on in chapter 9 to refer to them as the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Now in chapter 11, he was thankful for the remnant. He talked about the remnant. But understand, at this point, Israel, they're done for as a nation. It's all about the remnant. Okay, There's always a remnant everywhere. And here, so here's an important lesson, though, I want us to learn that I'm afraid many people just don't understand. We've got a lot of people out there today. They look at America where we've got gospel lights all over America. There's Christians all over this country, and I thank God for that. We are very blessed to live in a country where there are many lights. But people will often look at our country and then they'll compare it to some of these Muslim countries or some of these you know, countries where there's hardly any Christianity. And they say it's not fair. They'll look at that and they'll think there must be something wrong with the gospel. It's just not inclusive enough. Because what about all these people in these other nations? And folks, here's what people don't understand. And here's kind of where I, I, I'm, I've been going with this whole message that people need to understand. Just like Israel destroyed themselves and they're because folks i'm sorry israel still doesn't really exist okay we've got a fake one right now it's another lesson for another day they they ended as a nation okay they god god's done god left there and he proved it when he ripped the veil in the temple okay he's gone the glory is departed from from israel but what a lot of people don't understand is that just like Israel, when they rejected Christ on that first Palm Sunday, they, it brought a judgment on them that they suffered greatly for. And here's what we've got to understand. When the apostles went out into the, all the world and they preached, the world was responsible for what they did with that gospel. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, we all know verse 13, but we're going to keep reading says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And a lot of times people try to bring this up. And it's like, well, you've got to understand that's not really talking about individuals there. That's actually talking about Israel as a nation. Because it's talking about national salvation in chapters 9, 10, 11. And you know what? I agree that's the case. But in calls to national salvation, we see individuals getting saved all the time, don't we? We see the remnants. And so guess what? The whosoever, it does apply to the individual too. We're not wrong in doing that, but I will give you that this is primarily referring to a, a kind of a national call here. But look what it goes on to say. How then should they call on him in whom they have not believed? How should they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? This is the question people are asking today. What about all these people in China? What about all these people in all these countries? 
where it's so dark. Have they not heard? And you know what? God has an answer. He's, yes. Verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Let me tell you something. On Palm Sunday, that was when Israel as a nation rejected Christ and they, they sealed their fate. But you know what? Understand, the Gospel did get to the whole world in the first century. And some nations were receptive. Some nations were not hostile. And you know what? Those nations went on to be blessed. Those nations have done well. There are some... You, know, you want to know why America is better than other countries today? It's not because of our diversity. It's not because of our abortion and you know, all the stuff they're doing now. We're losing our greatness because of that. And it's not because we had Donald Trump for four years. I can promise you that right now. You know why our nation is great? Because our nation has been friendly to the gospel for a very long time. That's why. And if we can keep that, then you know what? We can save this nation. But if our nation becomes hostile, guess what? We will suffer. And not only that, our children will suffer. And that's what we saw. I'm not going to go back and look at those passages again. When he's calling on, when he's calling on Israel to repent, he kept referring to the children. Why? Because these things, they were going to suffer. And you know why these nations are dark today? Because at some time, time, maybe hundreds of years ago, somebody brought the gospel to them. And you know what they did as a nation? They ran them out. As a nation, they killed them. Or some places, the gospel came in, they received it, but then later, they apostatized as a country. And you know what? Now, the future generations are suffering because of it. Listen, and folks, it's not God's fault that the Middle East is the way the Middle East is. It's not God's fault that Africa is the way Africa is and that Asia is the way Asia is. It's not God's fault. It's their fault for what they did with the gospel. And understand, there is such a thing as a national rejection of Christ. And when that kind of thing happens, bad stuff always follows. And let me tell you something. Brother Daniel mentioned we were singing songs about Palm Sunday today. But then we sang a song about the second coming of Christ. And let me tell you, when Jesus Christ returns, one of these days, a day of reckoning or a day of visitation is going to come for all the earth. And on that day, when that day of visitation comes on all the earth, the nations will be responsible for what they have done with the gospel. And you know what? Some countries are going to have a bunch of people to get taken up in the rapture. And some countries are going to have barely anybody. And some countries that are going to suffer more than others on Judgment Day. Why? Because they asked for it. They chose that. And so when you see these dark countries, don't look at that and say, how dare God? No, say, how dare they reject the gospel? And you know what? You, if you really have a burden, you know what you should do? Is you should see if you can find a way to find a remnant of them out there. Because there's still people over there, if somebody gets the gospel to them again, they'll receive it. But they're, where they're at as a nation... It's their own fault. The Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 5, after it says, Thou shalt not make any graven image, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You know, we've got too many people acting today like Christianity isn't fair because so many have never heard the gospel but what they don't understand, those dark nations are dark for a reason. Israel is gone for a reason. 
I mean, look at all. I mean, you say, why didn't all the other nations go yet? God gave Israel 2,000 years. From Abraham to the time of their destruction, God gave them 2,000 years. And I think he's given the rest of this world roughly that amount of time too. He's going to see what we do with the gospel. And let me tell you, some places aren't doing too good. And let me tell you, our country was doing pretty good at one time, but we are dropping the ball. And it's, it's about time we get back on the ball. We need to do what we can to shine a light in all these places. And, but we got to understand, these dark places, it's their fault. It's the previous generations. And we need to remember that too for, the, for our next generations. Because you know what? If our kids are going to grow up in a dark country, it's going to be because we let the light go out. It's our responsibility to preserve this thing. We can't, we got to stop just hoping for good in the future. No, we got to make good happen right now. And we do that not just by preaching the gospel and getting individuals saved, but we've got to be calling on our nation to repent. We've got to, somebody has to keep calling out sin. I think it's ridiculous how much attention this small church gets just because of not of what we do, what we preach. Think about that. We've never physically hurt anyone. I mean, we've not done anything to anybody, but just because of what we preach, we get on lists and things. Isn't, isn't that amazing? You know what that just tells me? We live in a dark country. Our country is getting dark. And you know what? I want to do my part to keep the light shining. And so I'm going to keep preaching to individuals to get saved, but we're going to keep preaching national repentance too and try to salvage as much of this thing as we can. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was helped everybody. Lord, I pray you'll help, help us on this Palm Sunday to uh, just remember what happened on that day, Lord. While we see an exciting moment that day, while many people were excited about uh, your coming, Lord, we do see that the nation as a whole uh, rejected. It was actually ended up being a sad day. And I pray we'll be reminded, Lord, of that. And as our country just uh, goes more and more downhill, Lord, I pray we uh, will uh, remember that, to try to reach that remnant. But Lord, I do pray that you'll change some things for the better in this country. And I pray you'll help our generation to uh, see a revival and to really make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.